Welcome to The Improver, the podcast that explores ideas in healthcare improvement and participatory change, hosted by Dr. Naeem Ahmed and Lara Mott. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Improver podcast. I'm Lara Mott, CEO and co-founder of Improve Well. And I'm Naeem, clinical lead and co-founder of Improve Well. It is an absolute pleasure to have Dr. Amar Shah with us today. Amar is Chief Quality Officer at East London NHS Foundation Trust and a consultant forensic psychiatrist. He is National Improvement Lead for Mental Health at the Royal College of Psychiatrists and Honorary Visiting Professor at City University and the University of Leicester. He's also an Improvement Advisor and Faculty Member for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement teaching and guiding improvers and healthcare systems across the world. So Amar, welcome to The Improver. Thanks very much for the invitation to join you today. You are a very well-known voice in quality improvement and arguably the epitome of an improver. But for the benefit of all of our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in QI in the first place and what attracted you to it? Yeah, of course. Um, I was doing my medical training um, as a forensic psychiatrist, and I saw an advert when I was in higher training for a scheme that took doctors out of training for a year and put them into a placement with a government agency. Um, And that was the scheme set up by Liam Donaldson, our um, chief medical officer, many years ago. And um, I'm really grateful for that opportunity because I I ended up working with the National Patient Safety Agency for a year. And that really was my first glimpse into the world of improvement, obviously with a safety lens there, but really helped me see that, you know, beyond the clinician-patient relationship and encounter, how I might be able to effect change in the system um, and the design of the system to be able to improve outcomes. And I guess from that point onwards, I've never really felt like I wanted to be a full-time clinician. I always felt that I wanted to spend some time working clinically with patients, but spend some of my time actually thinking about the system and how we can influence the system to produce better results for the people we care for in the community. So that was the start when I was in higher training. And then um, opportunities have just opened themselves for me. And I, I, I came to work at East London Foundation Trust at a point in time where they were really thinking about what to do differently in the wake of a whole series of safety events. Uh, they were very assurance focused as most healthcare providers were a decade ago. Um, and, you know, when, when I came with the medical director at that time, who I worked with at the National Patient Safety Agency, our remit was to rethink our approach to quality. Uh, and that was the start of the journey that we've been on at um, this trust for about a decade now. Amazing. And on, on, on that, I guess, at the beginning of your journey, Amar, how did your peers, your clinical peers, take that? I mean, you know, you, you've been a trailblazer in terms of even for myself, you know, I, I read and heard about you way before I got into the kind of leadership space. I mean, how did your peers at that time, because you were, you know, as I said, quite pioneering at the time, what, what was their take on it? I think there's always been a perception that moving into management or leadership roles is, is sometimes seen as moving to the dark side, that there's a them and us about leadership and management. I think that view, perception has changed though in the, over the last 10 years, many, many more people now recognizing that clinicians are in a really wonderful position to be able to lead and to be able to lead others and, and lead organizations and services. So I think that, you know, that perception has changed a little bit. Um, I think one of the challenges 
I've had to face over the last 10 years is also the view that you need to be a really experienced senior clinician in order to affect change. Um, I started leading change across the organization before I was even a consultant, um, before I even had a job title. Uh, and I think that's one of the other, other sort of theories that we need to dispel, that you need to be in a senior, powerful position with decades of experience before you can actually lead. All of us can lead. And I think the other thing that um, I hope we've challenged over the last 10 years is this perception that improvement uh, is something that worked in the car industry and doesn't apply to healthcare. Um, I, th I hope we've demonstrated over the last 10 years that there is value in us working through complex problems in a really systematic way and bringing those basic scientific principles of being clear about the test you're running and seeing what change it leads to and, and bringing that into operations, day-to-day -day operations to be able to make a difference. So um, I, I've been really privileged to have these opportunities and, and I hope it's inspired others to be able to take up roles in leadership and be able to see that they can make a difference no matter what their seniority or professional background. And, and so as a I mean, you, you're in a different, a slightly different space. Obviously, you'd had some leadership training because of that, that, that role that you had um, with uh, the National Patient Safety Agency. How, I mean, how did you approach the, the problem, uh, you, the problem, if you don't mind me describing it as such, at the trust? I mean, how, what were the first kind of things that you, you would say, reflecting back that you thought uh, these are the types of things that um, I should have done or did do that was effective? Well, I think that the trust, um, to be honest, started doing this work before I joined. I mean, the, the actual response to those safety events um, was a really um, important turning point for the trust. And then they put in place a whole series of things to be able to ensure the safety of, of our patients. Um, but after those things had been done, um, there came a point where the trust realized it needed to look outside for the very first time. And so that's what bringing in some new eyes helped the trust do, to, to bring in some people with a little bit of expertise that the trust didn't have at the time to be able to help us think, how would we do so? How would we approach quality differently? Um, and I guess, you know, the learning along that path has been that you're going to make mistakes. You know, there's no way you can do this uh, perfectly the first time, but have the courage to try something differently. Make sure you build enough of a coalition amongst your leadership team that and um, take time to make people realize what it is they're signing up to. We took two years to warm people up to this, take people to see places, talk to places that have been a little bit further down this road from us. And all of those um, things helped people believe that this was worth investing some time and effort into because 10 years ago there were very few healthcare providers adopting improvement uh, it, I'm, it's such a different field today almost every healthcare provider has seen the benefits of it or feels like they have to do it and there's still variation in, in people's true belief about the value of improvement but uh, we've come a long way from those early days where it was seen as a bit of a leap of faith really to, to adopt QI. We spoke about um the clinicians uh, and, and your peers. What about the, the managers? How, I mean, how, what was the reaction? Uh, because the NHS, you know, at, at, at times, unfortunately, can be tribal uh, and we're trying to overcome those, the, those kind of barriers and, and work across multidisciplinary teams, et cetera. But how, what was their take on, on, on your involvement and your leadership in this space? Uh, I think it was mixed, Naeem. Um, I mean, you're never going to get a uniform response to change. And, you, you know, part of change involves resistance and understanding the resistance and where it comes from. There were some who were dead keen. And I think if you, if you frame this as, look, here's an opportunity for people who are close to the point of care to be able to actually 
see you know they see what doesn't work day to day they probably have ideas about what might work better and and we're literally giving people permission uh to make change happen we're giving them the skills to do it and it's our job as leaders to enable that to happen and we're no longer going to be coming up with the solutions to these problems because we're not best placed to do it i think that's an attractive proposition for most mm. most people but there are always going to be some who are skeptical cynical um some there were definitely some discussions about well the evidence tells us what to do you know we know what we have to do. Why do we need this thing called quality improvement to enable us to do it? Because surely the evidence just tells us and we should just do it. So there's there's lots of different people's mental models about how change happens and how we support behavior, uh, change in the positive direction within healthcare. And you have to take that as it is and understand where it comes from and work with the willing to start with and capture stories and, and uh, help it, people believe that this makes a difference. I, I remember in the early days, um, our five CAMS services, children and adolescent mental health services, were all tackling the same problem of waiting times. Um, and they were all doing it separately, independently. There was this view that they didn't really want to share with each other. Um, and the power of improvement has enabled them to tackle that problem, to solve it better and quicker. But it took a long time for us to get to that place where they felt safe enough to be able to learn from each other, share ideas, for be able to be able to do this collectively rather than individually. And that, that's why this is a long-term effort. And, you know, you need to start where, where there's will and, and build from there. And you've, you've created a, a, you know, a fantastic legacy. I think <clears throat> that <clears throat> ELF is, is always mentioned as, you know, just such an amazing trust in terms of its culture. Um, and it's, you know, this pursuit of quality, which you and others have, uh, have really instilled. What, what, I know there's so many probably nuggets. I mean, what are the things that you look back on now fondly and say, you know what, that, that, that was brilliant what we did. Are there a few things that you could share with us that, um, that you're particularly proud of? Um, I think I'm probably most proud of um, a couple of things over the, if I look back over the, over the years. One is the difference it's made for the people who actually use our services. Not only have we been able to make care better and safer but actually through involving people in this process as well you know our improvement work isn't just staff it's staff and patients together trying to make the system better that has so many benefits for the patients we serve the people that use our services actually we've enabled lots of people to get involved in help in making the system better in a way that they probably didn't feel they could before their only outlet maybe was to complain before whereas now they can actually partner with us in making things better it also you know those skills people gain from being able being part of a team working through a project using data all of those skills enable people to recover and actually move back into employment we've got so many stories of people who've moved back into employment partly through the experience they've had of being involved in improvement work and that's those are the personal stories where you know this this work really really makes a difference to individual people's lives and I think the other thing I would, I would just look back on and say that there are some really big complex problems that we face in healthcare. Um, and it's too easy for leadership sometimes to feel like we have the burden of solving them. Uh, but this gives us a route into finding better solutions. I, I'll take our, our most common safety issue is physical violence on our inpatient wards. Um, it's the most reported safety incident across all of our organization and, and remains so. And, you know, when you look at the evidence base, there's almost nothing 
there to draw on. There wasn't when we started this work, but simply by asking our staff and our service users, you know, what would make a difference? How would you be able to predict when someone's about to become violent and what could you do differently? You know, we've been able to reduce our levels of physical violence by 30% across, across the whole system, across 50 wards. Mm. And, and that, you know, that's a phenomenal achievement from so many people over a long period of time to test from one ward and then scale that over 50 wards. And, and now has ended up in the NICE guidance. So the learning from improvement work has ended up becoming evidence that others can draw on in, in their work too. So there are lots of examples of that, but it just shows how you know, some of these really complex problems are only gonna be solved by a, a, a structured discovery process that really capitalizes on everyone's creativity because we need new ideas for these problems. We um, have a lot of listeners from different industries. And so if I may, can I take it back to basics in the sense of quality improvement? What is it? Is it a set of tools, a theory, a mindset, culture? Is it all of the above? You've covered off sort of small, small concepts like getting ideas from staff through to big complex projects that are aiming to solve really, really enormous problems. But how would you define quality improvement from your perspective? I think it's um, as simple as defining it as applied problem solving. It's um, enabling the people closest to challenges or issues or problems to be able to come up with ideas, test them and see what works through a structured process. Um, and it's, it, is, it is a method. There is always a method to it so that we, we work through problems systematically. We understand the factors causing it we come up with our ideas, we test them systematically, we measure so we know when things have made a difference or not. But it's, it's more than just a method and, and tools, it's a mindset. And we want, we want our, our people to really approach their work with this mindset that they do have power over the system. They don't, they're not passive recipients of the system around them, they actually can change it. And we actually want people to feel like when something doesn't work, or doesn't work as well as it could, that they actually have the power to try something different. And, and that is a mindset. It is a mindset also that, in, that encompasses involving people in problem solving because you, you need a diverse set of ideas to understand the system and be able to improve it. You need a range of people with different backgrounds and particularly importantly, those that have got experience off the system from the, from the service user or patient perspective to be able to help us to, to get the, make the system better. So it's all of those things. It's, it is a method and a tool. There's always method and tools in quality improvement, but it's much more than just that. It's, there's a culture to it there's a mindset to it. And we want people to live and breathe it in the way that they approach their work. And people, when they really start understanding this, apply it to their lives too. It's the basic scientific method applied to, applied to, to what we do every day. It's basically thinking, what's my hypothesis? What's my theory about why something will work or why, why it won't work? Let me just test it and see what, what happens when I try it out. And let me make sure that I reflect at the end about whether it went as I thought it would. And if not, what would I, what have I learned from that? And then what does that mean for how I do it next time? You know, when we take a, a journey to a new place of work, we, we do that every time. We, we come up with a theory about how we're going to get there in the quickest time possible. We, we try it. And then we want to stop at the end and say, did that work as well as it could have done? Or am I going to take a different route tomorrow? It, it's no different from that. But applying that in the really busy, complex world of healthcare is the challenge. I mean, healthcare is probably the most complex industry in the world. With the inputs we have, every single patient's different. Every single patient has their own desires, needs, characteristics. Every process is, is customized to the individual to some extent. And the outcomes are really often not standardized. They're based on what really matters to that particular person. It means that we definitely need this sort of structure 
an approach to understanding the complexity of the world in which we work day to day and be able to focus on what really matters for the patients we serve and be able to get better at that. I mean, I think that's, you've described that beautifully and it seems like such a simple concept that you think everybody would naturally get behind, um, but you've, you've touched on the complexities of the sector. What do you think holds organisations back? You know, because you are obviously quite far along in that journey with, with ELFT, um, but there are some organisations out there um, in healthcare that, that haven't started, don't know where to start. What, what do you think are the reasons for why organisations wouldn't just sort of take that leap and, and make it central to all of their processes? Well, the NHS is one of the largest organisations in the world, isn't it? You know, 1.4 million employees. It's a it's a mon massive bureaucracy and it is extraordinarily good at command and control leadership. And that that's very good at times where we need to cascade information up and down the system. But what we're ultimately saying in improvement is that if we want to create a, an improvement focused organisation, we are no longer going to rely on the command and control structure. We're going to devolve leadership and decision-making. And to, to really truly do that, you, you need to believe that that's a better way to lead. And, our, you know, that's one of the challenges we have with, with uh, places that are slower to adopt this. I think there's, a, there's variation in belief that this represents a better way to lead and make decisions. I mean, lots of people get to really senior positions because they are fantastic problem solvers. They are brilliant at getting stuff done and solving problems. And then now we're asking people, well, your job isn't really to solve problems anymore. In fact, your job is to no longer solve problems, but to coach others to solve problems and to create a culture in which others can solve problems. That's a big flip, isn't it? In terms yeah. of leadership paradigms. So, and, and some people, um, when they experience it and they really believe it, they will, they will live that through the way that they interact with people day to day and others, probably need a little bit longer to and they need to experience it and feel it before they truly believe it. I think leadership belief in this way of operating is probably the number one enabler. Can I give a, a kind of counterpoint? Can you have too much improvement? I mean, I, I, was, I was listening to or reading uh, a Twitter discussion where, you know, trainees were saying that actually we're made to do these quality improvement projects. Um, we don't get to see the cycle com complete itself. Um, some were saying there are varying quality. Is that a problem? It is. Yeah, it shows that those places don't truly understand how to improve as well as they could. Um, and and it's, it, it, I think hopefully they're learning from that. Uh, I think in our early days, we, we just did, used improvement on everything. And we learned pretty quickly that it isn't the answer to everything. Uh, you know, you need to think really carefully. What are the things that are best solved through quality improvement? Um, and you know, focus your efforts there because quality improvement is hard work, takes time and effort. You don't want to be doing that everywhere on everything. You want to be applying it really judiciously on the things that really matter and doing it as a team in a sustainable way. Otherwise, it's just waste. And, and a team can't improve all the time. It, it's, it's tiring. So you need to be you know, using improvement in a burst on something that really matters and then stopping. You know, you actually need to stop improvement. You need to stop and pause and really think, you know, how did we do? Maybe think, well, is there something else we need to focus on next? So as, as organizations get more mature in their quality approach, they, they start to see improvement as part of a management system, not sitting on its own. You know, you need to see improvement sitting alongside assurance, sitting alongside day-to-day -day management or quality control and sitting alongside planning, you know, really thinking, are, are, we, are we best designed 
to meet the needs of the people we're serving or do we need to redesign and and those four elements really form part of the management system and then you see improvement as sort of one element of it used at the right time in the right approach for the right kind of problem can you paint um a picture of what that might mean in practical terms for you know a quality improvement lead or uh, you know a medical director chief nursing officer etc in an organization is it something they devolve to like a um a quality improvement committee or how, how does it how does it work or do you have a dashboard in, in, in your meeting how how does it work in in a practical sense i guess for an organization um, that's looking to to embed quality into into their organization yeah that's quite a hard question to answer name because um because of how organic the, the organization is and this isn't something you really manage uh you have an infrastructure to support improvement um but, and you can't delegate this sort of stuff. Leadership for improvement starts at the very top and has to be um, authentically led from you know, the, the chief executive and the board all the way through the organization. But their role is, is very much to sponsor rather than to be involved in the day-to-day work. But you, you, would, you would want um, people across the organization to be starting to get more fluent with, you know, what is the big issue we face in our service now? Let's come together as a, as a service and with our patients say, what are we good at? What are we really good at? And what are we not so good at? What could we improve at? And come to some consensus about what that is. You'd probably want every department or division in the, in the organization to have a place where teams could come and pitch their idea. This, this is what we, we have thought we want to focus our improvement work on. Our patients have told us, our staff have told us, actually, we're not so great at this aspect of quality. And we want to spend our next six months trying to work on that. And then you, you, that's, that's where the, the leadership of that division or directorate would, would have the opportunity to shape the way in which improvement is used. And, and they would say, yes, of course, that sounds perfect. Off you go. And, and here's the resource we're going to give you to do the work. That's where the infrastructure for improvement comes in, because most organizations didn't have an improvement infrastructure a few years ago. Uh, even Elft, uh, when, when we first came to it, had zero improvement expertise at all. We've had to build it from scratch. So that now when a team comes and says, this is what we want to work on, we say, okay, great. Here's a senior leader who's going to be your sponsor. They're, they're there to champion this work. They're here to help you when you get stuck. But also here's an improvement coach who's going to work with you step-by-step step, all through the next six months. They're going to meet with you and, and help guide you with the method. So that they, that's an objective. Can you just tell us what an improvement coach is, actually? That's a, that's a really interesting role. Yeah, we, we, we developed this role with the Institute for Healthcare Improvements um, drawing on the Dartmouth microsystem approach where, you know, we really wanted improvement to wrap around teams. We thought, you know, the unit of care delivery is the team. We wanted all improvement to happen in teams, but we wanted, wanted them to have access to improvement support and expertise really close. We didn't want them to have to go searching for it. We wanted them to have someone within arm's length. Um, and so we developed this role of the improvement coach. Now this is going back to 2015. And uh, we, we, we train up people who have full-time jobs, but they're released for a little bit of time each week, maybe half a day a week, to uh, practice as an improvement coach and help another team with their improvement work. And we skill them up in, the, in, in the, all the sort of method and tools of quality improvement and the softer skills of working with teams so that they can guide a team through from start to finish their improvement work. It's a really um, valuable, enjoyable thing to do alongside your day job and actually we have now over 120 improvement coaches in every part of the organization and that really is the first line support for most of our quality improvement work 
Amar, you mentioned um, a moment ago about knowing what the big issues are. You have a few hats that you wear, sort of local, uh, national, even international um, hat in terms of the work you do. Have you seen those, have those issues changed? Um, obviously, we're coming out of a pandemic. Um, in, in your mind, were there sort of, you know, top three issues pre-pandemic and now they very much changed post-pandemic? Or are you seeing a sort of exacerbated focus on those big issues before? What are the what are the trends that you're seeing? Perhaps if you can share anything, you know, from an elf perspective, but then maybe you know your national and international work. Yeah, and I think I think probably the the ways in which people use improvement should change, right? The, the world is different, the context is different. So what you use improvement around should be diff- should have changed, really. Um, I think what we've seen around the world when we've looked at this is that those organizations that really spent years building their improvement muscle pre-pandemic have been able to bring it to bear in their response Mm -hmm. and have um, probably been more agile as a result. Their teams have probably been better equipped to adapt and test changes and really um, use their improvement in a fluid way during the pandemic. Now what I'm I'm hearing and what we're certainly focusing on is... um, the use of improvement methods in helping us manage demand and weights. Um, we're, we're completely um, backing our improvement approach on, on the, the large and waiting list we have now and the much uh, increased demand we're seeing across many of our services. And there's a wonderful opportunity for us to be creative, not just work harder, but actually really think how are we going to meet this demand in a sustainable way into the future? Um, so we've got dozens and dozens of teams doing that work at the moment. The other area that I'm seeing increasingly um, being paid attention to is the the health and well-being of our teams. So, um, you know, we're paying very close attention to that, but there's a myriad of factors underneath this, not just the pandemic. People are tired. People have worked very hard. Um, But there's also a whole load of factors like the cost of living crisis, which are impacting on people's day-to-day ability to, to function and, and just do the basics of turning up to work and feeling safe and secure. If you think back to Maslow, this is like you know, right at the heart, at the bottom of the pyramid. And then, and then there's factors around demand. You know, Many, many teams facing a level of demand and referrals to their service that they've never experienced before. And that is exhausting too, when you feel powerless in the, sense, in the face of an inexorable demand. So there are, there, are, there are a lot of reasons why um, teams, paying attention to teams, team health and team well-being is so important right now. And we're encouraging our team leaders to apply improvement to that too, to really test out the evidence base and bring it back to their teams and see what they can do differently to make sure they're paying attention to the things that matter most to their staff and, and really listening carefully to that. And, and trying little things that can make a difference on a daily basis, whether it's thinking about, you know, how much we um, reimburse people for petrol costs when, when they're traveling by car, whether it's thinking about um, breaks at work, whether it's thinking about how we make sure we take on leave, whether it's thinking about, you know, how we apply quality improvement to manage the demand so we have some sense of control over the system. And we're re- re- reinforcing that, uh, you know, the use of quality improvement is absolutely fundamental to team health because it gives people a sense of autonomy over the system. It gives people an, a, a sense of pride that they can make a difference. Um, and, and it's very, it's joyful to done well. So uh, those are two areas that I think are, are definite areas where 
quality improvement has a real opportunity to make to help teams and, and organizations at the moment and, and you personally do you sort of have any sort of personal ambitions or missions in in quality improvement over the next year couple of years um has your thinking and, and focus evolved um in recent times or are you still sort of laser focused on your um kind of immediate priorities with with Elf and um, and the other roles that you you hold, I, there's always been a there's always been a desire in, in, within me not just to um, support the use of improvement within my organisation, but to use that as a story to to influence and convince others that this is a better way to lead and a better way to provide healthcare and to improve the health of the population. So um, I, I'm as keen on on improving things at Elft, and we have plenty to improve at Elft still. Um, but I think there's a there's a real opportunity for us now to redesign the system around improvement. You know, particularly in, in England, with uh, the, the structures that are coming into being, if we're serious about you know the health of the local population, and and applying um, improvement to that, there, there's a real opportunity for us to take the learning from from places that have been solving some issues um, in this way for the last decade. So I think you know I'm hopeful that we'll be able to build on some of the progress over the last decade and convince more places to be able to use improvement for us to keep it simple. Uh, there's a tendency when things grow for us to overcomplicate it and make it more technical than it needs to. At its heart, improvement is really simple and we need to take it out and democratize it, put improvement in everyone's hands, keep it simple and really enable people to, to, to make a difference. I mean, the biggest asset we have is our people. And this is one of the most powerful enablers I've seen. In, in all my time in healthcare, to be able to really leverage the ideas and wisdom of people that work in healthcare, use healthcare to be able to make things better. Naeem, I don't know if you have any other questions. I, I could keep asking questions. <laughs> to, no, to I mean, I mean that, that is obviously central to our mission at, um, you know, improve. I think one of, one of the frustrations, you know, that I had was that, you know, like, like you so eloquently said at the beginning of the conversation, you, you come into healthcare uh, to try and fix problems and actually you start to begin to feel disempowered as you're as you're working that actually that that you know you're not seeing enough net yet you know you you know you don't have this title etc so being able to empower people to go back to doing what they love which is trying to find solutions to problems is 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 so important and uh when you said that you know my eyes lit up because I just think that you know that, that's what I want that's what my colleagues want you know every day we go into work to try and try and fix things so so that that was incredibly powerful um it, in terms of I guess for the NHS right now obviously re elective recovery you've got a burnt out workforce uh that have been through you know uh, uh just a phenomenally tough time what 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 can organizations do do you think in terms of what you alluded to around health and well-being um, uh, to try and improve the lives of their workforce? I think that's probably in the top three priorities of every organization's leadership team, isn't it? Um, and I would encourage them to not feel like they have the burden alone to solve this problem. It is a really complex problem. And I would say for leaders, probably the most powerful thing you can do is to reinforce, keep reinforcing multiple channels to your teams that 
one, you, you they have your support. Um, and two, that you, you, you're here to listen. You, you really want to listen to what's going on for people in their lives, not just at work, but in their lives generally. And that you are giving power to your teams and to your team leaders to be able to try things that will make a difference. You know, when we began working on joy and work five years ago, um, there was a lot of cynicism about it. That, you know, how, how much impact are you really going to be able to make on some of these things? Because the stuff that people care about and the stuff that gets in the way, they're difficult stuff to solve. Mm -hmm. Trying to change the clinical record system, trying to make sure people have access to parking at work. Those are really big problems that people have not found solutions to for years. But actually what we've found and what we've learned is that there, are, there is a lot that we can influence. And there are a lot of things that we can do um, as individuals, as teams, day to day, that it makes a difference for our experience at work. Little things that don't cost money, but just rely on us really listening to each other, understanding what matters to each other and, and thinking, what could I do today to make your, your day at work better? How can we really help you connect more to why you're here in the first place? Let's see what we can do to remove some of this gumph, this bureaucracy, this inefficiency that sometimes just clogs up our day and re removes us from what we really care about. And, and that's, where, that's where the beauty of improvement comes in, because we all want to do that, don't we? And so the leader's job is to just keep reinforcing that you have our permission to do that, challenge us and help mm. make the system better. And what would you say, uh, I know Lara alluded to this, would be the things that you are most excited about in the improvement space, I guess, in the next few years? I mean, what, what, what have you seen that's really excited you? So I think there are a couple of things that are, well, three things for me that are really exciting. One is the evolution of improvement. I think we have started to try it out. We've learned quite a lot about it. We've got to get a little bit smarter and more sophisticated about it now. And, you know, there's one element of quality that we really haven't tackled at all through quality improvement, and that's equity. Um, it is one of the six domains of, of quality, uh, as the Institute of Medicine told us, and, and yet so little quality improvement work has been focused on this. So that is, for me, really exciting. We're just about to start a pursuing equity improvement program at ELFT. I'm really excited about that and, and doing similar work with the Royal College at the moment. And, and for me, applying improvement to help us understand where the inequities exist and helping us tackle them systematically is really exciting. The second, I, I think, is, is for us to evolve and continue to grow the career pathway in this field. I remember um, there were some risky decisions I made at the start of my career here to, to sort of come off the beaten track of becoming a consultant and going up the traditional clinical leadership pathway to actually do something different. It's paid off for me. Um, and, and I've done my very best to try to create a career pathway for others now. Um, with some standardization of role leading all the way up to the board but i think we need to do much much more of that because um you know for example i'm i'm one of only two chief quality officers in the entire uk and for me that's a travesty right how can we um say that the boards of our healthcare providers don't have expertise and quality on them it's, for me it's not enough to say you've got a medical director or a chief nurse who holds the portfolio of quality. We would never say that for chief finance officers, that it's okay for someone who has an MBA to, to, to hold the chief finance officer brief. So how can we run healthcare systems without expertise in systems thinking and improvement at the board? So I, I, I would re, I'm really excited that we're gonna to start to develop a career pathway that goes all the way through to the board now um, and into, into the boards of integrated care systems too.
Emma, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to uh, to chat with us today. We this brings us nicely onto a section in our podcast that we call Small but Mighty. Um, and you've mentioned a couple of of things in this discussion about you know small changes making big impact, and that's exactly what this section of the podcast is for. Um, we've obviously worked together for a very long time. Um, Elf has been a instrumental in improve well's journey uh developing our digital solution to capture um feedback and ideas uh and, and information from uh from teams across elft um but what i wanted to ask you today is if you were to enter an idea into the improve well app an idea aimed at anyone involved in staff experience healthcare improvement um something small but mighty that could make a big difference, what would it be? My idea would be to take time regularly as a team to eat together. Mm. That's, That's my idea. And when I look back at the five years of um, enjoying work at Elft and the 70 teams that have taken part, that is the most frequent change idea that's been tested by our teams, commensality. As, as coined by uh, Steve Svensson, who is uh, one of the foremost thinkers in this field, um, that the act of breaking bread together, the act of sitting together um, with the social norm of eating and drinking together is such a powerful one. It builds uh, relationships and bonds that helps us get to know each other as people beyond work. And, and, and it's really, really important for teams to be able to find time to sit together and have a meal together. So that for me is probably the most high impact change idea. If you're not doing that yet as a team, test it. That is one that reminds me, Naeem, we need to get the team together. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think it makes a huge difference. Amar, thank you. Naeem, I don't know if you want to say anything before. No, I just Amar. I just um uh think that everything that you've said has been I think a lot of people listening in will recognize both a lot of the challenges but also be inspired Emma, because i think you've had a a big impact on all of us actually um slightly slightly behind you but you've kind of blazed a trail i know i started off by saying that but i, I do mean it and uh, I, i'm excited for you in terms of what what more there is to come because i think that there's going to be much more in terms of the improvement space and and you know as a selfishly as a as a, as a doctor and a and someone that works in the NHS, having someone like you advocating on behalf of the workforce is just a brilliant thing. So thank you. I'd echo that as well, Amar. You know, we 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 all learn from you. You know, you're super active on Twitter. You teach. You know, your courses and learnings are accessible. Your track record with Elf. You know, Elf always makes its learnings accessible. It's it's really inspiring. So thank you for everything that you do in the improvement space. And um, thank you so so much for being such a fantastic guest on the improver today thanks so much for the invitation i've really enjoyed it and you know in the spirit of improvement we're, we're, we're just learning right we're just trying and learning and hoping to get better at this day by day so thanks for the opportunity thank you thank you the improver is a production of improve our limited to learn more about the improve our solution visit improveall.com 
subscribe to The Improver at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening.